Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're going to jump back into your word. We need to hear your voice. You speak to us many ways. Speak to us now through these words, not what I say, but what you would have said. May we hear your voice in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have to start today where we ended last week. And I just want to connect into it. So, so if you want to open your Bible, if you've got a Bible with you, we're starting at the end of John chapter 9. So John chapter 9, if you remember last Sabbath, we talked about what is one of my very favorite chapters in the whole Bible, John chapter 9, the story of the man born blind and all of the remarkable things that take place uh, through his experience of, of just being <clears throat> this helpless person who Jesus encounters. He begins to testify about Jesus. First, he doesn't know what to say. I, he's a prophet, I guess. Then they say, what did he do to you? This man's a sinner. And the man says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but what I do know was I once was blind and now I see. That's about the most powerful testimony you could ever give to testify to what God has done in your life. And as it goes on, he becomes more and more bold until in the end, he ends up lecturing the Pharisees who are sure that he is just this terrible sinner. Someone must have sinned somewhere or else this wouldn't have happened. And this powerful transformation takes place and we pick up in John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they, the Pharisees, had thrown him out. And when it says thrown him out, they mean thrown him out of the synagogue. He was no longer allowed to come to church. They had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. And this is one of those amazing points again. You've got you to remember, and it's highly relevant in the book of John. Why is he saying this? He's saying this because he has literally never seen Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't have an encounter with Jesus, but he had an encounter with Jesus when he was blind. So he's not literally seen Jesus. So when he comes up and actually sees him for the first time, he doesn't know who it is. This is a very important concept in the book of John. And it's really brought home at the end of the book in John chapter 20 verses 29 to 31, and we've, we've talked about this before, but I just want to keep coming back to it because it's very important to John's message. It's the story of Thomas. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he appears to the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it until I see it with my eyes. So Jesus appears again a week later, and he says, here, Thomas, Come, touch my hand. Put your hand in my side. See that it is really me. And Thomas says to him in verse 28, My Lord and my God. But here's Jesus' response, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Why is this so important for us? Because we will be the part of the people, the ones who will come after this time, who will need to be able to believe in Jesus without having literally put our hands in the nail marks in his hand and putting our hand in his scar in the side. You see, we don't have the Thomas luxury. We're going to have to believe from what we hear told and from the Holy Spirit working on our hearts. But you know what? It's possible. And John chapter 9 is the example of how it's possible because here is a man who has an encounter with Jesus. He's never literally seen him, but it's a transformational experience in his life. And he goes out and begins to testify about this Jesus who he's never even actually met face to face. This is how it is for us. Verse 30 of John 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The reason this book is written is so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. Can you believe something you have not seen with your eyes? Well, the man who was born blind believed what he had not seen. Well, we go back to John chapter 9, verse 37. Jesus said, you have now seen him, talking to the man born blind, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. That's a strange statement, isn't it? For judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who claim to see will become blind. What is he saying? What does he mean? When Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world, what does he mean? Does he mean I'm here and I'm going to be a big mean judge now? Or does he mean something else? I want to suggest to you he means something else. And one of the places where he addresses this is John chapter 3. So flip over there real quick. We've dealt with this already in this series. But John chapter 3 Beginning in verse 16, perhaps the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light 
so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. All right, I want to suggest to you that these verses are a perfect description of what takes place in John chapter 9. You see, Jesus says, for judgment I have come into the world. In other words, I have come into the world, I am light. I am the light of the world. I have come into the world. And those who desire to see will be able to see. But those who do not want to see will go blind. For judgment I have come, not because I came to judge. Jesus doesn't say, I came to judge you. No, Jesus said, I came to save you. But whether or not you believe in me is the judgment that will take place. So in that sense, each one of you is making the judgment. And God is only honoring your decision. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world. And what you believe about Jesus are the terms of the judgment. You're the judge. You're making the decision. God is simply honoring your choice. This theme goes on. John chapter 5, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus says, I judge only by what I hear. What does he mean? Does he hear you saying, yes, Lord, I believe? Or does he hear you saying, no, I do not? Or no, I will not? See, those are the terms of the judgment. And it's completely in your hands. And Jesus, he's listening to hear your decision. He will honor it. He doesn't condemn you. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. But he will honor your choice. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Do you see this light idea? Jesus is the light come into the world. Here's the thing about vision. Your eyes can work perfectly, but if there's no light in the room, you can't see anything, right? That's how we are without Jesus. We are in the dark. 
but he is the light that has come into the world that enables us to see. And if you choose to see and believe, you will walk in the light. But if you choose to not believe, you will remain in darkness. John chapter 1, verse 9. We've read it lots of times. We'll go there one more time today. John 1, verse 9. The, tr- nine, the, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For judgment, Jesus came into the world that we might see light and decide, do I love light or do I love darkness? He will honor your choice. Back to John chapter 9, verse 40. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is an interesting statement. I believe Jesus, I believe God is merciful with genuine ignorance. But not with willful ignorance. The Lord has revealed many things to us. He has made much available to us. He has given us many opportunities to learn of Jesus and know of Jesus. We are blessed in this regard compared to people on the earth right now at the same time that we live. There is an abundance of opportunity we've been given to see and believe. And with that opportunity comes responsibility. We're responsible to see and believe. The Pharisees were honored greatly in the day of Jesus to be on the earth when Jesus was there. All the prophets had longed for the day they lived in. And yet here they were, and because Jesus was not what they expected or not what they wanted, they refused to see. They made themselves blind. And Jesus said, I came so that the blind would see and those who claim to see would go blind. Don't be that group. Don't be the Pharisee group. You're better off being the blind man who Jesus gives sight. When Jesus enters your life, believe in him, even if you haven't seen him. But now we're ready for chapter 10. And so let's start chapter 10 because this takes place immediately after. In fact, it seems as though this may be a continuation of the same discussion. So John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. First of all, notice the audience speaking to the Pharisees, speaking to those 
who refuse to believe. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. All right. And again, let's flesh this out. We touched on this a few weeks ago. But if you weren't here, let me tell you about this again. Not many of us are shepherds, are we? Not too many. Yeah, we don't do that. We don't spend a lot of time around sheep. If we did, this would be a powerful illustration to us. As it is, we miss some of the very key elements. One of the key elements we miss is this whole idea of the sheep pen and the gate and the gatekeeper and the shepherd calling his sheep. But here's how it worked. In some of these Judean villages, all of the shepherds would bring their sheep and all of the sheep would stay in the same pen in the middle of town. And then all the shepherds would go to their house and only one guy had to stay up all night with the sheep. That was the gatekeeper. And he stayed at the gate to make sure no one came to steal sheep. And so anyone who came to get sheep that the gatekeeper recognized, oh yeah, that's Bill, he lives over there. Oh yeah, that's, that's Steve. Maybe I should have used Judean names there, but anyway. I know these guys. And he would let them come through the gate. But somebody who wasn't from the village would sneak over the wall and try to steal sheep. The second point here that comes out in this is that once you mixed all those sheep together, my mind immediately thinks, oh no, this is a nightmare. How are you going to get them separated? But here's how it worked. Your sheep knew your voice because you're the one that took them out every day to where there was food and where there was water. So what would happen in the morning is, is the first shepherd would come to the gate and the gatekeeper would recognize him and open up the gate and that shepherd would say, sheep, 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 all you sheep that are mine. And all the sheep that belonged to that shepherd would be like, oh, well, that's our guy. And they would immediately start coming out of the pen. But all the sheep that didn't belong to that guy, they're like, no, nah, I don't know that guy. I don't, I don't think he's safe. And the sheep would sort themselves. And he would call them. And all of his sheep would come out. And then they would follow him and he would walk along and lead them. And then the next shepherd would come and call his. And all of his would come out. And maybe the next shepherd was a woman. And she would call hers. And they would all follow her out. You see how it worked? This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he's getting at. He's saying... The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper recognizes him. So he opens the gate and then he calls and his sheep come. And when he has brought them out, he goes ahead of them. His sheep follow because they know his voice. They don't follow a stranger. In fact, they run away from a stranger because they don't recognize him. 
Now there's a lot to get out of that, isn't there? He's using this as a metaphor. And one of the points we should take from this is that we need to put more confidence in the ones who are willing to come through the gate than we put in the ones who are sneaking over the wall. This gets into the whole idea of, of suspicion and conspiracy theory and spurious doctrines. I guess I can't vouch for what everybody says in all the Sabbath school classes, but... Uh, but at least it's an organized group and, and they're there together and, and they're sharing in the context of the reality of the church. Put more confidence there than in the hall whisperer. You know how crazy doctrines get going in churches? It's because someone comes in and whispers in the hallway and then it spreads over here and then it spreads over there and a rumor gets started maybe it's maybe it's a rumor about people in the church maybe it's a a rumor about certain doctrines maybe it's the leaders are trying to do this to us or or whatever it is and these things they start to to foment underneath the surface no no don't pay as much attention to the people who are coming over the walls Let's go on. It's key that we learn to recognize the shepherd's voice. Verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, they didn't understand. Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So I've given this this sermon titled, The Gate and the Shepherd, because Jesus is actually going to, to use two metaphors out of this story that he told. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All right, there's a lot here. But let's deal with this idea of the gate first. Jesus is the gate. So if you're thinking about the sheep pen, there's only one way for the sheep to get in and out safely, and that's through the gate. And Jesus says, I am the gate. The only way for the sheep to get to where they need to be. Now, he's going to say something a few chapters later when he's talking to his disciples that is essentially making this same point. And it's found in John chapter 14. So I want to read you this. John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know, now catch this verse 4, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? 
Here's the answer. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I want you to catch this. Jesus did not say, I will show you the way. Jesus said, I am the way. Do you see the significance of this? Jesus did not come to the earth to show us how to get to heaven. Jesus came to the earth to be the way to heaven. We don't get there by following some course he laid out for us. We get there by putting our faith in him. That's what he means by I'm the gate. The only way out of this pen is through the gate. The only way out of this reality is through Jesus. Thomas is trying to go literal here. We don't know where you're going. How can we follow you? You don't have to follow me. You have to believe in me. Now, we follow Jesus, but that's a, that's a, a figurative term in that sense. I'm talking literally, trying to physically go where he went. No, we put our faith in him. We learn his voice. And he is the way. This is the, the same idea that he's talking about in chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? By believing in the name of Jesus. It's not this list of requirements. Jesus is the way. So by believing, you become child of God. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He's the way. John 20, verses 30 and 31, I read it to you already. All of these things were written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. He is the gate. He is the way. For judgment he came into the world. The judgment belongs to you. What do you believe about Jesus? God will honor your judgment. These are all from John, but I can throw, I can throw Peter's voice in here as well. Acts chapter 4 Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the gate. He is the only means by which we get from this reality to the eternal life that he's calling us to. But now let's go back, John 10, because there was another phrase there that was very powerful. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full. Now we have no time. 
to plumb the depths of this like we should. But briefly, go with me to chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. So in this discourse, even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, and catch these words, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, we talked about this, remember? Truth doesn't save you. Truth sets you free. Jesus saves you. Truth sets you free. Jesus is the way. Follow after him and you will enter into truth and you will find life more abundant and you will find freedom. So why do we do what Jesus tells us? Why do we follow the, the law of God? So that we won't waste our lives. Okay, that's not what saves us. Jesus is the only way to the Father. But when we follow his teaching, we enter into the fullness of life. Sometimes that's hard to believe. Sometimes we think what we want is more than that. But the one who created, created us in the beginning has said to us, no, you will not find joy there. You will find despair. You will find loneliness. You will find brokenness. And you will find hurt. If you want to truly live a life worth living, this is the way to go. He doesn't force us. The shepherd comes and calls. Sheep, come. And everyone who follows him goes out and finds pasture and water and everything they need. But every one of the sheep that says, I don't think he knows what he's talking about and wanders off by themselves, gets torn apart by the wolves. It's just how it works. Jesus is the way to the Father and the way to life. His directions to us are not an arbitrary test to see if we're willing to do what he said. All of his instructions are a second grace so that we don't waste our lives on things that will destroy us. Paul had a comment on this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He's talking about the words that God has given us. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These are good words. And they're designed to make your life better not to make your life miserable. They're designed to save you from misery when you use them correctly. Let's go back to John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So you know in your life who really loves you when they're willing to put themselves in danger for your sake. How many of you saw that... Uh, 
viral video some time ago of the lady with the dogs. I think it was somewhere in California. And there's a bear climbing over the wall to where her dogs are. Did any of you see this? There's a bear coming over the wall, and she's got dogs out there, and she's worried about her dogs. And she comes tearing out of her house. There's just a, uh, a surveillance camera kind of thing on the, on the security camera on her house that it's caught on. She comes running out of the house, and there's this bear coming over the wall, and she's worried about her dogs. And she runs to the bear and pushes him over the wall. Later on, they interviewed her, and she said, yeah, I was thinking while I was doing this, this might not be very smart. She was like the shepherd. Instead of sheep, she had dogs. Because the dogs weren't smart enough to save themselves, she came running out and pushes the bear over the wall. That's the good shepherd. This is what Jesus is saying he is like. And here's the thing to remember. And we read this verse last night. For those of you who were uh, at, the, uh, at the family gathering, 1 John 4, verse 19 it says, we love because he first loved us. See, you didn't figure out God. You didn't come up with Jesus. God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. He sent him after you. He sent the Holy Spirit after you. The fact that you're here today is proof. That God is after you. He seeks you. He loved you first. Verse 14, John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He's foreshadowing something here. He's foretelling what he's going to do, though nobody really understands it yet. You see, when Jesus says things like, your sins be forgiven, in that phrase he's making a promise. And that promise is, I will pay the price. I will do what it takes. I'm the good shepherd. And I will make sure you have what you need. What you need. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now this was kind of a revolutionary statement, because all the shepherds put all their sheep in the same town pen. So you only had sheep in one pen. But Jesus saying, no, I got sheep in this pen. I got sheep in the pen in the town over there. I got sheep in the pen in the town over there. I got sheep on the other side of the world. And you know nothing about them. So here's a quick lesson to take from this verse. If you're a sheep in a pen and you hear Jesus' voice, you follow him out. But don't worry about how he calls sheep in a different pen. He may use a different tone with them. He may have something different to say to them. Here's the thing. You got to learn to recognize God's voice, and whatever He asks you to do, do it. But don't assume He's asking everyone else to do exactly the same thing He's asking you to do. Well, that one's a hard one, isn't it? You see, it's very possible that God requires things from me in my life because of who I am and what my strengths and weaknesses are that He doesn't require from you. 
There may be places I need to never go that you could go. There may be places you need to not go that I could go. We need to learn the shepherd's voice for ourselves and not judge the manner in which he calls someone else. We need to be the people he's called us to be, the tribe he has called us to be, faithful to the foundations he's given us. It's like a family thing. Families function according to, to agreed upon ideas, and sometimes they struggle over those ideas, but they function in that, in that context. But that doesn't mean every family should function that way. Can we be okay? If not everybody does everything exactly the way we do it? Let's go on before we get in trouble. Verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now I'm going to guess pretty much nobody got that part what he was saying there. But basically what this is, is this is exactly what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus. Do you remember this? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus says, I have authority to take away the sins of the world. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? For judgment I have come into the world, Jesus says, and you see it right here. Some of them don't want to hear and believe. But some of them are like, yeah, I think there may be something to this. Which group are you in? Jesus says, I'm the gate, and I'm the good shepherd. I am the gate in that the only way out of your pen is to come through me. Faith in Jesus. We don't get out by affiliating ourselves with any particular organization. We don't get out by behaving in any particular way. We get out by putting our faith in Jesus. But then once we're out, we follow him. And he shows us. So here's the deal. As a sheep, you really only have one job. Learn to recognize the voice of Jesus. Learn to recognize the voice of Jesus. How do you do that? Well, that was pretty awesome what Pastor Jay did here. And it is true that God speaks to us with a quiet voice if we will calm ourselves to listen. But you know what? You've also got this. Now here's the thing. There's a lot of people who read this book, the Bible, and all they get from it is a bunch of words. See, I think God is less interested in us getting the words of Scripture than he is getting the message he would speak to us into our hearts. 
But in order for that to happen, you have to read with your mind open to the Holy Spirit to be able to hear what he would say to you through these words. To not just read these words and then put yourself on some throne of, I accept or I reject this, but rather to read with humility, saying, Lord, what would you say to me from this? When you take that step, it transitions from being dry and cold to being alive. And the more you have these words in here and in here, the more you'll be able to hear God's voice in other situations. Because he will speak to you very often in those situations from these words. You know one of the ones he says to me all the time? When I get myself into whatever scenario I'm in and I can't figure out what's going on because that's how I am. I'm, I'm that in-your-head kind of person who wants to figure stuff out. You know what one he brings out and says to me, the, the, the voice I hear? It goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I'm out there trying to make a straight path. And he's like, no, don't worry about that. Focus on the shepherd's voice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't be so sure you have to figure it out. Go through your history. How many times did you figure it out? Yeah, three, four, maybe. How many times did the work of the Lord get done despite my best efforts? If I trust him, he'll lead where I need to go. If I listen for the shepherd's voice, I'll get to where I need to go. Right now, there's a bunch of stuff. Alicia and I were talking the other day, talking about all the stuff we don't understand and don't know. But yet the Lord is still going to lead us if we will listen for his voice. One of the troubling things about the book of John is the characters you want to be are not the characters you think you want to be. Kind of like to be Nicodemus. He seems important. Yeah, he's, he's not a hero. He does okay at the end, but he wastes a lot of time. You know who you want to be? You want to be the man born blind. You want to be the sheep. You want to be the Samaritan woman. You want to be Nathaniel who the first time he meets Jesus, recognizes him for who he is. Not Thomas. It takes him too long. If there's a place in the kingdom of Jesus for the man born blind, for the sheep, for the Samaritan woman, there's a place for you too doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've come from. It doesn't matter what your experience is. You can't top the stories of the Bible characters. And Jesus called them. And they believed. So here's the opportunity. 
Nobody has to go home fearful, lost, and alone today. I don't know what your mindset was when you came in here. I don't know what was on your heart. But nobody has to leave here today fearful, lost, or alone. Why? Because you have a good shepherd. And he knows what you need. And he shows up where you are. And he calls you. He's calling you right now. Can you hear your name? Do you hear him call? I'm going to ask the band to come back because they're going to lead us in a song. And this is a, a cry that comes from the heart. This song is about, is about praise to the one who saves. And if you hear the shepherd's voice today calling you, you are of his sheep, you are a child of God, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is he saying to you today? If you hear his voice, you can join this song. And you can sing an endless hallelujah. I got that right, didn't I? Yeah. I hate to promo the wrong song. You can sing that from your heart. If you haven't been sure where you're at or, or if you've been a sheep that strayed, the good shepherd calls. There's nothing out there for you just going to get hurt. Come back. Be a part of the fold. Let's praise Jesus.